You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Alperin Shengun of the Turkish Super League is on the rise in the NBA Draft community. Just how high do the draft dummies have him? Stay tuned to find out. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS App Store and find one of our Locked On Rooms. Again, that is Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. You are locked on the NBA Draft. My name is Sam Ferris. I am one of your co-hosts. And as always, I am joined by my good friend and the other member of the Draft Dummies, Cody, I'm very excited to see your Turkish on display today. Yeah, so that's what we have going on for the show. The first couple segments we're going to spend talking about the game of Alperin Şengün of the Turkish League. And then in the final segment, Sam and I are going to talk a little bit of NBA playoffs. All right, so let's get into Alperin Şengün. Unfortunately, uh, like some of the other international players, there is no really easy um, nickname for him. There is no Rocco, nothing like that. So we're going to go with the full name. That was my attempt at Turkish is Alperin Şengün. So let's get into his game, Cody. Uh, what stands out to you the most or where do you want to dive in here? Well, we can start with some of the basics. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he's 18 years old. He's Listed around 6'9", 6'10", I've seen both, 240 pounds. And when you first dive into the film, I would describe him as active and kind of a high event player. So if we're starting high level with him too, Cody, I think it is important to note that he just finished his season and was the MVP of the Turkish League at 18 years old, averaging basically 19 points. Nine and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, and just under two blocks per game. Uh, but to pass it back to you, Cody, you talked about a high event guy. Uh, I, I'm assuming that's a good thing for you. And where does that stand out to you on the tape? Yeah, so he's active uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, I know, I think you've posted some clips, Sam, of him coming over some uh, for some weak side blocks and whatnot. But offensively, uh, you can tell he's got a really good feel and he moves really well for his size. Uh, he And he makes stuff happen. So um, one of the things that I really liked about his game is whether it's on the drive or in the post, he's got really good footwork. He's really good uh, with up and unders, uh, pivoting, and then on the drive too, just being able to Euro or kind of cross step. Uh, he's just got a knack for, for getting to the cup and finishing where he – you know, on the season, shot 63% from the field. Yeah, and, and we're going to try something new this episode where Cody and I are going to watch clips together that have to do with what we're describing. And so I have this clip that is called Shengun Footwork. And Cody, you talked about how spectacular this is, and this will transition into what I wanted to hit on next. So basically what happens in this play is he sets a high screen, catches it on the roll, and what I really love there is that footwork. He takes it pretty slowly, but then something that he does very often is this kind of up and under move where it's almost shades of <laughs> Kevin McHale to a certain extent. 
gets the guy up in the air, rotates under. And what I love about Shangun Cody on top of the footwork is he is a spectacular finisher around the rim from different types of angles. I think he has fantastic body control because, you know, we talk about or you hear sometimes how kind of the up and under and post moves are a bit of a lost art. Well, you know, some of these up and unders in the moves that he does end up in kind of awkward body positions, but he is fantastic at finishing from all angles around the rim. Yeah, absolutely. And on this clip that Sam's showing right now, too, before that up and under move, it comes right after a spin. Uh, so very quick, very quick play. And like you said, the footwork and then the body control to step through and finish at awkward angles um, using both hands. It's it's impressive to watch for an 18-year-old. And so I liked this transition because an interesting topic for me, Cody, is a lot of people describe Shangun as kind of an old school, potentially plodding back to the basket big. And we hear again and again how the post game is dying, you know, especially in the half court. Only the great ones like Jokic and Embiid are that great at it and do it that often. But to me, Cody, an important point is that. Yes, it's possible that he might not be a heavy post-up guy. It's possible that the post-up continues to disappear from the NBA. But when you look at the skills that a player has, to me, every skill has a sub-skill. So when I look at his post-game, what I'm thinking is, okay, this is fantastic. Now, if he doesn't necessarily post up in the NBA a lot, what is it that makes him such a good post-player at this age? And how will those sub-skills translate to the NBA? So, you know, when I talk about every player has skills and every skill has a sub-skill, you know, there's tons of examples. You can think of anyone, but I'm a big Steph Curry fan. So when you look at why is Steph Curry such a good three-point shooter, obviously real life is not NBA 2K. Like, he's not just a great three-point shooter because his three-point rating is a 99 I don't know everything that goes into what makes him so good, but obviously he has insane hand-eye coordination. He has very good spe spatial awareness and he has kind of unreal self-confidence in himself. Those might be just a couple ideas of some sub skills that make Steph into such a good three point shooter. And so breaking those down or determining why a player is so good at something and how those subskills will translate is kind of one of the interesting and, and frankly difficult parts of evaluating a player because, you know, when you're trying to get better at a skill, for example, three point shooting, one way that you can improve Cody is just the repetition, just shooting a lot of threes. But, you know, sticking with this Steph example, he works specifically on these subskills a lot. And you see some of these guys do kind of these weird drills you know, in the summer where Steph did this thing with his trainer where it's like the flashing lights and it works on his hand-eye coordination. And he also does these things with these smaller balls that he throws against walls. There's tons of articles uh, on these type of things where he tries to continue to develop and improve these sub-skills, whether it be that spatial awareness, whether it be the hand-eye coordination. Um, so getting back to Shengun Cody, my point is, I don't know how much the post-up game will translate or how often he'll be asked to post up. But 
what makes him such a good post-up player, at least to me, is the footwork that we talked about. His body control is fantastic, and he has very good hands, and his touch around the rim is fantastic. So if, Cody, if he doesn't necessarily post up all that often, where do you think those sub-skills might be useful to him kind of as an NBA player? Well, if you're that skilled and talented uh, with your back to the basket, uh, it's going to show up to either when you beat your man off the dribble when he gets to that point on the fast break, or like in this clip Sam just showed, it was off the pick and roll, and he got the ball with a head of steam, you know, about free throw line, and went into a spin move, pump fake, up and under finish. So, I mean, if guys are that skilled, that's so useful uh, all over the court at all times. I think a little bit of Paul Millsap, who he's not getting post touches anymore, but if you watch him, uh, when he has those those moments of of whether it's on the fast break an offensive rebound in the pick and roll, uh, he can flash that that skill that he has, the footwork, and it you you're always looking for guys that can put the ball in the hoop. So, yeah, you hinted at a couple minutes ago a defensive play that stood out to you. So I'm going to bring up this clip, Cody. To me, I have this clip titled Body Control because I think it's pretty unique for a guy his size. So I'm going to run this clip, Cody, and I want you to kind of describe what stands out to you from Shangun on the defensive side here. Yeah, so this this clip is he's reading the the ball. He actually loses his man a little bit, but he's reading uh-huh. the player with the ball and uh, they get kind of a backdoor pick on the weak side and it's wide open. His Shangun's teammate got lost and uh, he just makes a play and then. Not only does he make the block, he recovers it while it's flying out of bounds and he's kind of stumbling and comes Mm -hmm. up as heady enough to uh, keep his balance with the body control and then find a teammate and tap tap the ball to him as the ball is going out of bounds. Yeah, I I titled this clip Body Control because you just don't see these kind of plotting centers in the NBA make plays like this. And you talked about after the block is actually one of my favorite parts because he's stumbling. It seems like he might be losing control and the ball is going out of bounds, but he just seems to always be on balance. There's nothing really awkward ever about his motions, able to keep the ball in bounds and stay on balance. And I think just that body control and just he's just not an awkward mover. He makes it look easy is something that shows up on both sides of the ball to me. Yeah, his feet are very nimble, and it does show up on both sides of the ball. We are going to further our talk and our analysis of Shangun after this break. So this episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. This app is pretty cool, guys. You can connect with fans that are just as passionate about you are. It's a perfect place to start to join conversations about whatever league you're interested in. You can even find Locked On hosts across the NBA, MLB, and NHL using the Locker Room app. Be sure to join when you can. Go download it. Uh, It's available on iOS devices. Create a profile. Link it to your Twitter if you can. And uh, you'll get all the latest league updates. 
Uh, download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room changing the way we talk sports. Okay, so Cody, we talked a little bit about the footwork, how nimble he is, his hands, some of the skills he have, he has. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about his size and athleticism, both functionally and kind of open gym athleticism compared to other centers. Um, so how would you kind of grade out his functional athleticism? Because this is something I have a bit of trouble with because at times defensively, if he gets caught in an island, it can look bad. But there's other times where he looks very, very solid, uh, you know, in terms of the functional athleticism. Uh, where do you fall kind of on that spectrum with him? I think for his size and age, you know, he's definitely above average. He moves really well. We've been talking about his footwork, his nimbleness. Uh, but yeah, he he certainly isn't, you know, a Bam Adebayo 6'10", where he can switch on to all perimeter players. He's not quite that level in a, of an athlete. With that being said, I think he's still going to get better. These guys get stronger. They get quicker. They get smarter. Uh, for him, watching the film, it's just it's going to be a consistency thing. Uh, he does a lot of amazing things. Uh, a lot of amazing high event uh, plays when he's out there on the floor, but it's not necessarily consistent every possession. And if we want to get into this too, at some point, um, just talking about what position he will be, if he's a five, he's going to be, you know, majorly undersized on the block against some of the bigger guys. Yeah. So this is a big kind of breaking point for me with Shangun is how tall is he and how long is he? Because functionally, to me, he looks pretty long out there. You see him with some nice verticality plays, and he does overall a decent job protecting the rim. But yeah, he does look undersized at times. He's listed at 6'9". And if he is, because I'm excited, I think we're going to get to see most of these guys actually measured at a combine of some sorts, unlike last year. So hopefully he does participate. If he comes in on the smaller side and he's like under six, nine with, you know, just in socks, then I'm going to be pretty worried because to me, he is a five. I think that's where his skills are going to be best utilized. Um, so I see him as a five. Do you think he can play the four, Cody? I think he's going to get there uh, to be able to play the four. We'll get into his jump shot, too. We haven't talked a ton about that yet, but I think it can improve. I think it will. And if he can stretch stretch the floor, uh, just catching and shooting. And with already kind of the the movement, perimeter skill movement that he's flashed, I think he can get to a modern four. Yeah, I mean, I guess the overall sales pitch too, which we've kind of alluded to with him, is the production at this age is, it just doesn't happen that often. And you combine that with just the overall skill set and feel that he displays it's pretty rare and hard to pass up on. So we're going to get into our rankings of him in a bit, but that's kind of the sales pitch. Of course there's holes. Of course there's worries. You know, you and I, Cody are not the biggest on drafting centers or using capital too high on those guys, but I mean, it's hard to pass those things up. Let's get into the jumper though. Like you talked about to me, it is more of a matter of how soon the jumper happens rather than if I think, like you said, he's just too skilled and you can tell that he's seen um, 
the worries or kind of the hesitations of NBA draft analysts. And lately he has emphasized taking, you know, some more three point shots. And I think what we've seen overall has been good. And on top of that, I, I just think the touch and the overall skill level with him, these guys do get better at jump shooting. It's one thing you certainly can work on. And so you can't completely bank on it, but I think it's certainly more likely than not that he shoots it. Yeah. The shot looks good to me. Uh, he's shot around 80% from the free throw line as well, uh, which bodes well. And yeah, like you said, the skill level and the touch that he has and yeah, he, he's flashed some, even like a step back here and there from three point distance. So I agree. It's just kind of a matter of how soon and, you know, like so many other prospects, um, just how good that jump shot becomes will will kind of dictate, you know, how great his career is. Yeah, like you said, last game, I think it was two days ago now, two, three days ago, he took four threes and made two of them. But one of them was a step back in the corner and the other was kind of in the triple threat. He did almost like the little mellow jab step and then hit the jumper. So he can do things. He's certainly very talented. And I would say it's likely that that hits. Um, another point on him, Cody, is, you know, when you look at centers in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them kind of come back, but there was the thought that they're almost disappearing. They're kind of these dinosaurs. But the best ones do tend to be these international guys. Do you do you think you know why that is, Cody? And do you think that you kind of give him a little bit of a bump up in your rankings because he is another one of these international guys and we've seen most of the bigs in today's NBA be uh, these guys from international backgrounds? Yeah, that's an interesting point. And there's the whole you know, argument about AAU compared to the more, you know, skilled professional development overseas when those guys start playing professionally at an earlier age and kind of have to earn their stripes too. Uh, a lot of these guys aren't, you know, starters when they're, they're growing up on these professional teams. So I don't know. I, you know, my philosophy has always been, you know, every single individual prospect is different. Um, so it doesn't, doesn't weigh too much into my evaluation of any one specific player. Yeah, I think it's certainly worth noting that the skills are there. You can tell he's been trained from a young age. I guess, uh, I mean, it's something to at least think about that most of these bigs are international and he's just got some of that skill and that it factor. Not that he's going to be a Jokic, obviously that's the exception, but just some of that unique skill you know, where you look at him, like we talked about as a post player, but you just see that skill kind of permeate the rest of his game too, where you'll see flashes of him bring the ball up and facilitate. You'll see him handle from the high post, spin and finish. There's just a lot of ways that that skill shows up. And so I'm very hesitant to put the label on this guy as just a plodding back to the basket center. I think he could be a fantastic pick and roll player. And I think he could end up being a really good pick and pop guy too. So offensively, I feel like uh, he's got a very good ceiling and a lot of skills to work on. Obviously, it's just kind of this archetype of the center and a bit of the defensive worries in today's NBA that hold me back. But should we get kind of into our, our ranking and placement of him on our, on our boards now? Yeah, let's do it. So where do you currently have him in, in general? 
More so specific, I have, whatever you want to do. I have him right around eight, nine, ten on my board. So I am higher than I think a lot of people would have anticipated. You know, you've heard us talk about staying away from centers if we don't think they're going to be all stars. I just think that the skill level with the production at this age, he's improved a ton. So add the development arc to that. Those are three things that I, I just cannot not buy into. Um, and I'm, you know, I do want to stay away from certain archetypes, but at the same time, unique is unique. And if unique talent is there, you just, you just have to roll the dice on it. Right. Yeah. I know it makes sense. I kind of have a more, I'd say 10 to 16 range, a little bit lower. And my reason is this. Um, so, and I've, I've brought this up on other shows, but I get very cautious with like the Jordan Bell types. So Jordan Bell coming out of Oregon, people were in love with, um, especially that Oregon final four run where if you watch the highlights, I mean, he had like seven blocks in that final four game, I think. And, uh, just a high event, high energy player where you think, okay, here's a six eight, six nine versatile big that can guard all five positions, protect the rim, is a good role man, finisher, athletic, lob threat, uh, which is great, you know, if you watch the highlights. But when you watch the player, you know, full games individually, you see that there's, you know, a lot of laziness and a lot of um, just low basketball IQ, especially uh, defensively. Hassan Whiteside's another one for me where he blocks so many shots, but if you actually watch the games, you see that he's hurting his team a lot while he's out there. And Shangun isn't to the Jordan Bell level, but when I watch some of it, um, there is, you know, he's got to make a ton of strides with effort, every defensive possession, and then just man-ball relationship and knowing where he's supposed to be. The difference with him is he is super talented compared to a guy like Jordan Bell. Much, much more talented. And I think he has the basketball IQ. So it's just a matter of him becoming consistent and bringing it every single possession. And I totally think that's worth uh, taking, you know, late lottery or mid first round uh, choice. I know you're not like completely comparing him to Jordan Bell. Just kind of the idea here. But the, one of the main differences for me is that Shangun is 18 versus Jordan Bell was, what, like 21 at that point at Oregon. So whether that's fair or not, but to me, with the guys this young in today's day and age, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these type of things. Now, you know, certainly could happen that some of these guys that I give the benefit of the doubt to prove me wrong. But when they're this young, uh, I do give them the benefit of the doubt and I roll the dice on the skill level, the upside, the uniqueness and the talent of his game. So, yeah, I mean, if we are still seeing this tape from him three years from now, where some of those issues do happen, then, yeah, that'd be more of an issue for me. But I think most of that these things happen with guys his age. Obviously, yeah. there there are some exceptions, certainly. Yeah, and it's such a different severity than with Jordan Bell. Like, I would take Shingun, like I said, 10 to 16 range. Jordan Bell, when he came out that year, I would not have drafted in the second round. And I, you know, probably got some weird looks for that. I just didn't want anything to do with him having watched him a lot in the Pac-12. And so it's, it's definitely not that severe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, those do concern me a little bit. The... The size and the talent 
Um, and like you said, being 18 is worth the gamble, especially when it's, when it is effort related and they have the IQ to shore it up, then, you know, that's, that's something that's in his control and that's something that's easily fixed, uh, with the right motivators, the right veterans and whatnot. So yeah, I, I really like Alperin and 10 to 16 range for me at this point. Yeah. Before we move on to the last topic, I do want to put, uh, I do want to mention, you talked about the size is if he does come in and measure under six foot nine, I know this, I mentioned this already, but that's kind of my big if with him, if he actually ends up being like six, eight with a six eleven wingspan, then whether that's fair or not, just my evaluation of him is that is going to be pretty important. He's going to need the size to match up with bigs and to utilize those skills to its their fullest extent. So if he is like a 6'8 with a 6'10 wingspan, then yeah, he's going to be moving down potentially out of my lottery, but certainly towards the back of my lottery at the least. All righty. We are going to take a break and then get into some NBA playoff stuff after this. Bill Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I personally am not a guy that has enjoyed many protein bars in my life. I just don't think that they taste that good. But for a couple of reasons, I really prefer Built Bar, and I think they are worth eating. So first, of course, is the flavor and just the taste that they have. They've got tons of different options of flavors, including cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel. They've got a wide swath of options you can choose from. And on top of that, they are made for health conscious guys like Cody and I, and like I'm sure most of our listeners are. So yeah, they've got the taste, they've got the health. And of course, because you are listening to our show, you get a little promotion. And that is our offer is if you go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked 15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. How about all those no-hitters and the strikeout rate? Go bet on some of those some of those great pitchers to get it done for their team. Uh, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the NBA, NHL, and UFC and MMA. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or your mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. I wonder if you can bet who the Seattle SuperSonics' leading scorer is going to be in 2028. Bring the Sonics back. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as your teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to their website now and you can get 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Uh, use promo code locked on to let them know that you came from us. That's all one word locked on. Bet online, your online sports book experts. All right, Sam, let's get into a little bit of playoff prediction. So as we're making these predictions, all these series have started. So it's a little bit late, but I still want to hear some of your thoughts. Do you want to start in the West? Yeah, we figured we'd get these predictions written down so that if we're wrong, we can look like idiots. And if we're right, we can rub it in people's faces. 
you said you wanted to start with the Western Conference, right? Sure, are we, why not? Are we making kind of these macro predictions like Western Conference Finals, or do you want to start with just individual series? Oh, yeah. You want to do the first round series? Yeah, for sure. So Let's just I do think the first round. Okay. Sounds good. Save something for next week, right? Yep. Uh, I got the Jazz in six. I do think that if Donovan Mitchell doesn't play, but I think he's going to, all signs point to him playing. If he doesn't, it's like a 55-45 series with the Jazz with the slight advantage. I told some of my friends that are Jazz fans that during or before game one, and that played out. But I think the Jazz are pretty significantly better if both teams are at full health. Yeah, there's reports that Donovan Mitchell was geared and ready to play, but they did not let him because they're like, hey, we're one seed. This is the eighth-seeded Grizzlies, but, you know, you got to bring it every day. They're not quite the same team without Mitchell. Kind of the head of the snake for them, even though I do I do think Gobert is their most impactful and best player in the regular season. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to go with the Jazz if Mitchell's healthy here, as much as I love the Grizzlies and Dylan Brooks. So the 4-5 series, this one might be one of the most interesting in the Western Conference after seeing what Luka did in game one, I think I'm going to give the Mavericks the edge here. I'm going to pick the Mavericks in six or seven. Uh, Ty Lu said after the last game that Kawhi is going to get the assignment to see if he can lock up Luka. That's something they haven't gone to yet. So we'll see. Um, but I'm going, I'm going Mavericks in six or seven there. Yeah, this one's kind of tough for me. I want to go with the Mavericks, especially with the hindsight of, of Mavericks winning game one. But I believe that was the same scenario last year. Uh, but the Clips got it done. I'm not confident in the Clippers, uh, but I, I think they're going to end up winning this series. So Nugget, right. Nuggets, Nuggets, Blazers. 1-1 one, one there so far. What have you seen there? Do you Are you leaning one way or the other? Uh, I think they're missing Jamal Murray. Uh, they're missing that that guard that can create off the bounce and create his own look. I haven't liked uh, Michael Malone's strat- strategy or, or play calling so far. I feel like Michael Porter Jr. will go long stretches without getting you know, a, a planned touch for him. Uh, I love the Blazers being in the Northwest here. Uh, I do think the Nuggets will eventually get it done, though. Yeah, even with the insane shooting exhibition that Damian Lillard put on in game two, they still got blown out. And then, of course, Jokic matched him. And that was a fantastic game to watch until the refs kind of took over in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I'm going to go Nuggets in. I'm going to go Nuggets in six there, but it could be six or seven. Again, a close series there. Final series in the Western Conference. The Suns won game one. Do you think the Lakers come back and get this series? Uh, they might, but I'm just going to go with the the pick I want here. And I do think the Suns are a complete team. I don't like when, when teams win back-to-back titles. So I'm going to go with the Suns. And, you know, I really hope CP3 can make a deep playoff run. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Suns here too. And one of the more, you know, uh, I guess annoying things this past season was hearing people talk about how Chris Paul should be in the MVP discussion. 
was he really good? Yes. Did he make their team a lot better? Yes. But he wasn't the main reason that they were as good as they were this year. Obviously, Devin Booker's improvement, but they have such a fantastic team. So deep. Uh, they've obviously got wings we love, like Mikal Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder. DeAndre Ayton has taken massive steps forward. And then even off the bench, uh, you know, uh, Cam Payne has been fantastic and a very improved player. So I, I think their improvement and just how well-rounded that whole roster has is has been understated this year. And I think they take the Lakers out in six games. Yeah, I love uh, Tom Thibodeau, but my coach of the year was Monty Williams. I've, I'm a huge Monty Williams homer anyway, so I, I love him. So, But yeah, so we both picked the Suns there. Let's move into the Eastern Conference. We'll start with the Sixers and the Wizards. I'm going to go with the Sixers here. Yeah, I'm going Sixers in four. Not much to hit on there. Uh, Westbrook will shoot him out of a couple games, and... Uh, Embiid looked unstoppable in game one. I think it was a bit weird. The game was so early in the morning, especially on the East Coast there. It seemed like they were sleepwalking for the first half. But I think the Sixers, there'll probably one be one more close game and the other two will be blowouts, I bet. All right. This series is pretty interesting. The Knicks and the Hawks. Most of the experts in the mainstream sports media actually went with the Knicks here. But... For me, I think the Hawks win in five or six. If you're just looking at the talent here, the talent discrepancy is pretty severe. The, obviously, the Knicks are going to need Julius Randle to play a lot better than he did in game one. But the Hawks have so much talent, and they've got a fantastic core built around Trey Young right now. You and I were talking before we started recording. Clint Capella has been, to me, one of the more underrated or underappreciated players in the league. He's starting to get some more recognition uh but again kind of like the suns uh they've just put a deep well-rounded roster around uh their star guard so i think in terms of talent i I like the hawks pretty easily but i think the knicks have just played so hard they've just got the chemistry madison square garden was rocking in game one so i think it is going to be a close series i'm going to go hawks in six all right next we got the bucks heat You know, honestly, this one's a little tough to pick with hindsight right now with the the first two games of the series already over. Um, So, you know, I don't know who I would have picked to start, but it's kind of tough making these predictions already now. So obviously now I do think the Bucs are a little too much. I do think that Drew Holiday is a huge upgrade, even if it doesn't show up in the normal box score. So... Yeah, and the Heat, the Heat are struggling big time. Yeah, so last year in the playoffs, I did pick the Heat to beat the Bucks, but this year, even before the series started, I thought the Bucks would win, you know, fairly easily. I think Drew Holiday is a massive upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. But Cody, these last two series are pretty obvious as to what's going to happen. I want to get your initial thoughts because the the next series that I think I'll be most excited to see is the Nets Bucks. Um, we don't have to get full breakdown here, but where would you be leaning if you had kind of gun to your head, had to predict Nets Bucks Nets Bucks in round two? Yeah, that'll be such a fascinating series, and yeah, that's a really tough call. 
the individual talent for the Nets, as we know, is, you know, some of the best, you know, ever put on one NBA roster. I might lean Bucks, though. The big three just have not had a lot of time together, and they are so great individually. But I think it's just a matter of time um, before, you know, Kyrie and Harden just really aren't gelling on the court together. As great as they are individually, both guys are so so good with the ball in the hand and their offensive sets that first game against the Celtics. Like they're just not inspiring a lot of confidence as a team. No, it was just taking turns, ISOing. And to your point, Harden has been so deferential to this point. So I'm interested to see kind of who takes the reins moving forward in more competitive games and series. But the X factor for me, or the matchup that I look at, and it's obvious is Giannis and who's going to guard him for the Nets. Is that going to be like Jeff Green or Blake Griffin? Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really sure who they put on him. Like KD can't do that. He's going to yeah. get run over. Yeah. I, I would think Jeff Green and KD, but KD just KD isn't the same anymore. And like, he uh-huh. would not, not do it well, not at all, but someone's going to have to step up. Uh, I could see him honestly, if James Harden, were to you know light a fire under himself like light a fire under james harden we'll, uh, yep. we'll see yep i mean his strength is actually you know incredible when when he tries so but yeah i mean jeff green i would think would be the main assignment blake griffin can't do it at all anymore he he can't run and move like he used to in my opinion so i don't think so either but if blake griffin's the starting center he's gonna have to be the one guarding him to start games like that's asking a lot of James Harden. <laughs> put him on the Hey, he's not getting the ball on offense as much. That's so true. He should have some energy. <laughs> that's true. Um, so gun to your head right now, you'd go Bucks. Yeah, I think I'm going Bucks actually. I mean, they've got the guys to guard. I mean, you can put Drew on whichever of Kyrie or Harden kind of worries you the most, and then Giannis is kind of the free safety roaming. So I, I think it. I think that's going to be a potential classic series. I'm going to need to think a bit more before I give my final prediction, but I could... Oh man, you made me give mine. You got to <laughs> give yours. You're the one who always does that too, so I'm I'm pulling <laughs> one on you there. <laughs> but yeah, that's fair. I, I really that series is going to happen and I'll tell you what the Sixers did very well to avoid one of those teams in the second round playing the uh, the Knicks or the Hawks was a massive massive advantage for their title hopes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for listening today, guys. Sam, did you have any more thoughts before I wrap it up here? Uh, No, I don't. But thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, we appreciate it. Follow us at Draft Dummies on Twitter. And, of course, listen to the other hosts on this channel. Yeah, and then get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. So follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We will talk to you guys next week.